we're kind of in our second week here of what we do every spring talking about generosity and giving and tithing and all those things. We call it stewardship emphasis. And it ends today. And next week, we kind of get back in Ephesians as we march right towards what will end up being our message from Ephesians for Easter, which is just hard to believe that Easter is that quickly approaching us. I'm ready for it. I hope you're ready for it. Uh, As I was thinking about this sermon this morning, I couldn't have picked a better song than what they just sang. You've probably heard the choir sing that. I think Hannah sung that solo for us before with the choir. And and our, our speaker in September for our Global Impact Celebration is going to be David Nelms. David has a much uh, more basic way of saying what you just sang when he says that everything you see is hay, straw, and stubble, and it's all going to burn, right? It's all passing away. And the only thing that we take with us is what was done for us at the cross. That's the only thing that matters in eternity. So it's important for us then to think about what biblical stewardship means for us as a church, as families going forward. So I want to just kind of recap where we started last week as we started with the idea that the first step in understanding biblical stewardship is that God owns everything. Remember our our reading from the Psalms, the earth is the Lord, the inhabitants, the fullness thereof, everything. He founded it. It's all his. Everything is God's. And if everything is God's, then that changes one of our thought processes about it. We're moving from ownership to stewardship because we can't own what God already owns. We can only steward what God already owns. And that's, that's really important for us to understand. And I told you this last week, that what we're trying to get you to understand is being the difference between an owner and a steward. Because owners think of giving to the church as being like a donor to the church. Can I tell you what would be one of the worst days of my life? If I ever heard one of you say, I'm a donor at our church. Right there, man. It would kill me. Because you don't get it. You're not a donor. You're a steward. You're not an owner. You're not a donor. You're a steward of what God gives you. You want to bless your pastor's heart. Talk about the stewardship of what God has given you in your life. That would make me excited that that you had to kind of flip the switch from ownership to stewardship. And we talked about the first step in that process is understanding the tithe. Now, tithe just means 10% commanded by God in Scripture to be given back to him for the ministry of the church through the local church. And when you talk about it that way, remember what we we were very clear about. You can't tithe 3%. It doesn't work that way. You can't tithe 7%. Tithe means 10%. Okay? So you, you have to get that right. And that's the first step of obedience in our finances. And do you remember us talking about that that's this great test of faith in our lives, that God tells us you will live better on 90% than you will on 100%. And it's a crazy test of faith because until you start doing it, you'll never believe it. And some of you are going, well, I don't, I don't see how that's possible. It's because you've never tried it. If you'll try it, I promise you, you will understand that you can live easier on 90% than you can on 100%. And this week, we're taking a step further to go into generous giving. So as we talk about generous giving, uh, we're going to look at the Corinthian letter. 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn there, in chapter 9 is going to be our passage of Scripture this morning. And I want you to see this from the perspective of the tithe is not the destination. The tithe is the starting point in our giving. When we start understanding as biblical stewards that the tithe is where we start, not where we finish, 
that this passage of scripture makes perfect sense to us. Now, if you're visiting with us this morning, you, I said this last week, you might be expecting me to say, it'd be our joy for you not to give here. Forget that. If you wanna give here, do it. We're excited about it. But I want you to take this message back to your church. You be generous where God has placed you for sure. But this is a message for us as the church of Jesus Christ to think about what it means to be generous. So let's read this together. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and following. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides the seed for the sower and the bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So you will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God, through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity in sharing with them and everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So what's going on here? If we went back to chapter eight and kind of read the first part of chapter nine, what we would see is that there was an offering being collected from the Gentile churches to give back to the Jewish believers who had started the church. The gospel had come to the apostles. They had been saved. They had gone to the Jewish believers who had heard Peter's preaching and the other apostles. And it's now moving outside of that and there's a great need for the Jewish churches because they're under pressure, they're under duress, and they, they're having, experiencing a shortfall. And so what's happening here is that Paul has said, I've already collected from the Macedonians, and now I'm coming to you to collect what we talked about, and this is gonna be awesome. This is gonna be full circle because they sent us out to you as Jews sending us out to you Gentiles, and now you're coming back to them and in giving to them, it's going to be overwhelming for them to see how you've been obedient to the gospel and that God is now blessing them through you. That's an amazing thing to think about. Now, we're going to look at some principles of giving from this passage of Scripture in the first little part. And then we're going to see the results of generous giving. So what we're talking about today is that you get the tithe right in your life. But it's beyond that. What is God doing as you steward the resources that he would give to you and entrust in your hand for this season of life before it all turns to hay, straw, stubble, and burns up, right? Because ultimately, we're not carrying anything out of this life except our souls and the righteousness of Christ given to us at the cross. That's it. You don't get to carry your bank account. Somebody else is going to live in your house. Your, your uh, wife's next husband is going to give your car collection to him, and he's going to really enjoy it and all that kind of stuff. So you just understand, it's all like sifting through our hands, isn't it? It's running through our hands. That's the perspective of a steward. 
None of this is mine to clutch. It's all mine to use and to steward for God's kingdom. So let's look at first principle that we see from this passage of scripture. And it's the principle of sowing and reaping. Could you look back at verse six? The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. When we talk about sowing and reaping, what we're talking about are principles of the harvest. If you sow a little bit, you reap a little bit. If you sow a lot, you reap a lot. And we understand this from everything that we see in life. If you're going to start a business, you're going to have to sow capital into that business if you want to reap anything out of it. If you want good kids, you're going to have to sow some good things into them to reap some things out of that. This is just the law of the harvest. Nobody goes out to their garden and plants one seed and expects to reap a bountiful harvest. It doesn't work that way. And I think about that right now because as I grew up in Virginia and my dad grew up there and, and then I later pastored there, a lot of people there had gardens. That was kind of a thing that would happen. And they would tell you this, right now is the time to plant the garden. When you can sit down in the earth, here's, here's how you know. If you're thinking about planting a garden this year, I'm gonna help you. When you sit down on the earth, and your bottom is not cold to the soil anymore. It's warm. It's time to till it up and get started. That's how you know. Farmer's Almanac wisdom for you right there. Your rear end tells you everything you need to know about planting the garden, okay? So if you think about Some of y'all going home right now. Nope, not yet. You don't have to wait a little while. I can see you now, right? But that's what they would say. That's how you would know. And as we were traveling back this week, we'd been out of town for a couple of days, saw a lot of ground already tilled over, people getting ready to plant. But they're not going out there and just doing this. If you want to reap a bountiful harvest, you have to plant and you have to sow, not sparingly, but generously. Now, I want to be really clear that we all understand what we're talking about here. You need to hang with me because he's not talking about how to get your bank account fat. It's not what he's talking about. That is not what he's talking about. That may happen. And you're certainly going to be blessed. And finances are not excluded from what we're talking about. But you need to stick with me till the end. We're sowing generously, believing that God's going to do something that results in a great, bountiful harvest. The second principle of generous giving is that you can be somebody God loves. And you say, well, I thought God already did love me. Isn't that what John 3.16 says, Pastor? For God so loved the world, I'm part of the world. He gave his only begotten son. That's absolutely true, yes. But if you want to just please the Lord today, be a cheerful giver. And that's how you can be somebody that God loves. Look at verse seven. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. What does that mean? When we come, time, come to those times in our lives when we're ready to give, what I think happens for us is that we generally find ourselves giving out of some pockets right? So you have a pocket that is the tithe pocket. It's God's. You don't get a choice about that when you give it back to him. But then there's a pocket over here that would be like special projects, maybe what we would call like our building fund project or our missions offering that, that really as God has blessed you, you might think about giving above the tithe to those kind of things. Then there's that, that kind of spot in your life where Maybe you're giving kind of to benevolence. You, you see somebody at work and you know that they've had a hard time and God just impresses on your life. I need to give them a little bit of something here to help them get through the next season of life. Or, or you guys have done that here. You've given so generously 
to our benevolence fund. And again, I, I wouldn't tell you stop it because it seems like God knows we need it, but we've given away everything multiple times and we have $50,000 in that account right now. We're still trying to give away, so thank you for that. that. That's God impressing that on your heart to give to a need. You see it and you give it to it, but then you get to this place of generous giving. Now, the word that's actually used here, when, when he kind of starts talking about this giving, you may have heard somebody say this before, but it sounds very similar to the word that we say, hilarious. It, 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 it's, it's, the simil- it's a similar word. It's like, it, it's fun to give. It's a good thing to give. And so when he's talking about a cheerful gift, he's saying that your heart has to be right. It shouldn't be, man, well, you know, they're doing that thing, and I don't really want to give it to them, but I guess I ought to. God doesn't love that. What God loves is that when he impresses upon your heart to give to things, that you do so willingly and joyfully. You shouldn't be giving because your dead relative always wanted you to give to the church. You shouldn't be giving because, you know, you're an adult now and your mom and dad always wanted you to be giving to the church. It ought not just be an expectation of that. It ought to be from the heart that God has moved on your heart. And because of that, it's a joyful thing for us To give. And you remember that this is one of those things that we've seen models what God has done for us. As we talked about last week, God was generous towards us. And as we're generous towards others, we're reflecting what God has done in our lives already. So if you want God to love you, if you want God to be excited about what's going on, be a cheerful giver, not somebody who gives grudgingly or, I mean, I don't really want to, but I just feel like I need to. The third principle of giving is to learn the difference between your needs and your wants. Look at verse eight. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. So I start with the understanding, don't I, that I have to sow if I want to reap. I want to be somebody that God loves. I want to be a cheerful giver. I need to learn the difference between needs and wants. Do you struggle with that like I do? That's a, that's a hard thing for me. Because sometimes, you know, it's like you look around and you say, well, Lord, I, I feel like I need this. And I don't see you supplying what I think I might need. Did you notice what it said there? It said that God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way always having everything you need, needs and wants. Needs and wants are hard to distinguish in our culture. Do you need a new iPhone or do you want a new iPhone? I mean, I don't know. I, when Apple releases those products and I just saw the other day a, a Samsung commercial. It's like, we have the best camera. And I thought, I need that. That would allow me to take better selfies. I could populate my Instagram page. This is a change of life that I need, Lord. Right? What's the difference between a need and a want? When do you need a new car versus when do you want a new car? I think sometimes we confuse these things. And if we were just kind of break it down, can we go over what you really need? Food. You need some food. We all think you need clothes. <laughs> Shelter. Maybe transportation. 
What else do you need? I mean, what else do you really need? And I think that's a hard thing for us. I don't want to bash the American church. That's not the, that's not the point. You didn't choose, you were born here. Maybe you chose to move here and live here. That's great, that's fine. But do you realize what we have compared to the rest of the world? I think that's what makes it difficult to discern the difference between needs and wants. Because there are things that I may think that I need and that I really, I really do need it. And what it really is is that I want it. And by the way, there's... There's not anything wrong with having a want. That's, that's, not, that's not the point. And if I could just for a second, can we step just aside for a second? There are three mentalities when it comes to finances and two of them are wrong. This comes from Robert Morris's book, The Blessed Life, and I think he's right on the money about this. There, there's an attitude of poverty that just says, you know, somebody says, oh, I like your car. And it's like, well, you know, I got it on sale. I, I could barely afford it. I never buy anything if it's not on sale because I give to the church. That's a poverty mentality. Don't give your kids a poverty mentality about what you can't have and how you can't afford things. And they don't need that. That's the wrong mentality. There's a prideful mentality. Oh, I like your jacket. I've got three more at home. Just like it. God has really blessed me. It's fantastic, isn't it? That's not right either. But there's a grateful mentality, isn't it? That's the right mentality. Hey, I like your shirt. Thank you. That's it. I like your car. Thank you. That's it. Just grateful. Grateful that God has provided what I need, that he's provided for me to have some of the wants that I have, that he's provided an ability for me to be generous to others. That, that's all good right there, but that all comes out of gratefulness. And if we don't know the difference between our needs and our wants, then we're always confused about what we think we really need to buy next and what we start to see in our minds is we say, well, well, God's going to provide everything I need. So if I sow generously, I'm going to reap generously. And that means that one day I'm going to get to retire at 55. Uh, maybe. Maybe that's God's will for you. Maybe it's not. What I don't want us to see here is that I give so God is beholden to me to bless my socks off so that I can just spend it all on me. That's not generous living. He said, as you do this, you're going to have everything you need for every good work. Can I tell you that that comes against me sometimes here as I'm pastoring our church and I say, oh Lord, we didn't get all we needed this week in our offering. He says, I gave you everything you needed. Well, Lord, but we really wanted to do this. You don't need to do that. I have given you everything you need. That's a hard thing sometimes, isn't it? For us to just reconcile that, to understand that the principle of sowing and reaping and us being generous leads to us having everything that we need and sometimes our wants, but just knowing the difference. So what comes out of this when we start to live the generous life? Could we read Verses 10 through 15 again. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, 
but is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have a deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. A few weeks ago, a card showed up in my office. And it was from some missionaries that we're supporting right now who are in language school, Miles and Whitney. And you know they're going to an undisclosed location to do some language work, Bible translation, some different stuff. And in this card, they said, hey, we just want to thank God for you and thank you for supporting us during this pandemic. Now, you can imagine during the pandemic, they were already in language process. And just like we're looking around going, Lord, are we going to have the needs that, that we have supplied here? We're going to trust you for that. We have to. We have no other alternative, Lord. We want to continue to support all of our global focus partners. And by God's grace, we did that last year. And what they were saying was, hey, thanks for doing that. And, and we just really appreciate it. It's been the biggest blessing for us to continue our journey. But then they said at the bottom of it, and we are praying for Judson daily that God would multiply you and expand your ministry so that the world could be changed through you. That's basically kind of the gist of the card. That's exactly, when I read that and I was reading this passage, I was like, that is fulfillment of this scripture right there. So what Paul was saying is, as we are generous to other people, it starts to do something, the results are in. Here's what happens. As we're generous towards other people, as we're generous to sow, very generously, not sparingly, God starts to bring expressions of gratitude to himself. So God gets glory out of this because they're sitting over there in language school going, Lord, we're waiting on you to supply our needs. We don't know how we're gonna take one step forward. If this pandemic takes our funding away from these churches, Lord, we're trusting you. They're not making money, they're relying on churches. And so they're trusting God for that. And then it comes in as we have looked to the Lord and say, Lord, you've given us these partners. We want to supply them with everything that they need. We're trusting you for that. We give it to them. They start praising the Lord and then they start praying for your church to multiply and make a difference in Nashville. Let me ask you a question. Do you wake up this morning and pray for your church like that? It doesn't always happen that way, does it? It's not always maybe in the front of your brain, but to the people that you're being generous to, they are praying for you. They're praying for your church because they're depending on your church. And this is the fulfillment of scripture in our lives and their lives as they see the expression of generosity from this church towards them. Now, the second thing that we see in this, which I think is fascinating, is that he says that the obedient confession of the gospel of Christ is known through our generosity. That's an important thing. The obedient confession of faith, that we as a church have said that God matters more than stuff and that we've really been changed by the gospel. And if the gospel has changed us, if we're not owners, we're stewards, letting it come in and out of our hands, that's proof that God has our hearts. If you want to know if God has your heart, look at your checkbook. Does he have it? Does he really have it? 
Because if I have a donor or an owner mentality, that's like tipping God, right? It's like, thanks God for helping me. Here's a little bit extra. That's not what he's talking about. But he also says that as that happens, something else happens, which is just awesome. He says that it, it, it increases our righteousness. If you go back to verse 10, he says, you will have an increase of the harvest of your righteousness. Now, I found this past week as I was kind of sorting through my shop out behind the house, I found something that I had made in machine tool class years and years ago. It's called a plumb bob. Maybe you've seen one. If you're in carpentry, you probably don't use these anymore. You maybe use a level because it's a little bit easier, I guess. But a plumb bob is kind of a cylindrical thing that is turned down to a very, very sharp point. You tie a string to it and you hang it up and it will hang perfectly straight up and down and you will know if what you're building is up and down straight. That's righteousness, if it's right, if it's straight. Now we get our righteousness from Christ. That, that's, that's not ours to, to gain. But Paul elsewhere in the New Testament in Philippians talks about the fruit of righteousness in our lives, that our righteousness may increase. Once we have the righteousness of Christ and we're able to live rightly and follow the Lord, and what he's saying here is, somehow what increases, he didn't say your bank account, he said your righteousness increases. That as we give and as we're generous, that God does something in our lives that increases our righteousness, that we have a harvest of those things. And I know sometimes we think, well, I don't, I mean, maybe I would choose more money over righteousness. Isn't that our worldly self-talking? I want to be righteous. I want the world to know that I'm righteous, that Christ has saved me, that he's moving in my life. And as we do that, the results are that God is glorified and there's more affection for us from the people that we're generous with. You know, a number of years ago, we asked you to be part of a building campaign here. And we set a goal, and the goal is it's just a number. It's I mean, something we had prayed about, but it was just a goal of $500,000 to get our building debt pushed further down the road and just really knock that out. And I believe we received about $431,000 in that 90-day period, which was awesome. But if you ask me to grade out that building campaign, can I, can, can I just talk to the church, Judson, for just a minute here? If you're not from here, these. Just for us. If you asked me to grade that building campaign out, I'd say it's like an A minus, right? If we'd gotten 500,000, that's an A. If you got 501, A plus, whatever. That was fine. It was great. But do you know, there was something about that campaign that bothered me a little bit. And it bothers me when we get to global focus too. And I think if I were to do that campaign again in the future, which there'll be another one, just buckle up, it's coming, right? That's prophetic, it's happening. Uh, I see one in our future. Uh, I would go for 100% participation instead of a number. Because God didn't have all of our hearts. And what I mean by that is that when the opportunity came, some of us said, well, you know, that's, that'd be fine. Other people take care of that. Somebody else will do that. And they did. And they got the blessing and you didn't. 
And those who were cheerful in their giving got the double blessing, didn't they? Because God loves a cheerful giver. But when I think about our missions offering this fall or our next building fund offering, for us to look at that and not participate means that we don't understand this principle yet. It means that, that we don't understand that. Now, can I tell you what I think we are beginning to understand as a church more and more and more, and I'm so grateful for, is that we are beginning more and more and more to understand the tithe, which I love. Do you remember what we talked about last week? Just if we tithe, how that would change the world by, was it, 160-something billion dollars we talked about. Just if the Christian church tithed, it would change everything. If Judson just understood that, and we're on our way towards understanding that, then it would change the ministry of the church in Nashville, Tennessee. It would, it would truly, I don't think you could even understand how much that would change, just if we obeyed God in that. And I think we're starting to understand, again, the idea of generous giving. But generous giving is not about the size of the gift. It's about what's in your heart. The widow gave a mite. It wasn't the size of a gift. It was what was in her heart. And for us to understand this and to understand the results of what's going on, we can't look at these things and go, yeah, that's just somebody else's deal over there. I know the church will do fine. They don't really, they don't really need what I would bring to it. Or my gift is just so small, it wouldn't, it wouldn't move the needle. We need to be all in with this. I want you to think about that for a second. Think about that wallet that you're sitting on. Guys, what about that? Ladies, that purse that you have sitting beside you. Whose is that? Are you an owner or a steward? Many years ago, there was a man who I had lunch with. You're familiar with him. He's preached here several times, Junior Hill, great evangelist. Every time he's spoken here, many people have been saved. And Junior and I were having lunch, and I was asking him about a story that he had told one time. Junior was a young preacher, and Junior has always built his entire ministry off of love offerings. If, if we called Junior tomorrow and said, would you come? His answer is, if I can make it, the answer is yes and God will supply the need. Now, if we want to just give him a regular check, he's fine with that. If, he, if we want to take a love offering for him, he's fine with that. That's what he started his ministry on. And Junior said that early in the ministry, times were pretty tight. And as he walked into church to speak one day, somebody handed him $100 bills. Anybody remember when $100 bills meant something? You know, everything, like, when did $100 bills stop buying everything? It's like it's the new 20 is the $100 bill. It's so discouraging, you know? But he got a $100 bill, Thank you for that. Put it in his wallet and was just like, Lord, thank you. You, you just knew I need it. Well, in the old days, we used to sit. Anybody remember there were chairs up on the platform and the pastor sat up here, you know? And so he and the pastor were sitting up on the platform before he was supposed to speak. And I can't remember if the pastor had said that his, it was like his car had broken down or, or he was just having a hard time. His kids were sick, something like that. And the Lord looked at him and said, give him that $100 bill. And Junior said, Lord, that's my $100 bill and I need it. And the Lord said, that is my $100 bill, give it to him. And so Junior took it out and he gave it to him. The next week, as he went to the next church, 
As he walked in, somebody walked up to him and said, Junior, I wanted you to have this and handed him a $100 bill. And Junior thought, uh-huh, I got my $100 bill back. Thank you, Lord. As he was leaving that night, he was praying with someone and they began to tell him about the difficult situation they ran and the Lord said, give him my $100 bill. <laughs> Lord, that's my $100 bill. You just gave it to me. Give him my $100 bill. Gave him the $100 bill. Junior laughed as we had lunch that day and he told me this, this, as he told me this story, he said, Jeff, every time I have given God's $100 bill away, God has given me his $100 bill back. And every time I've spent God's $100 bill, it cost me $100 because I had to find it out of my own pocket to give it because the need was always there. It was one of the greatest blessings and lessons of my life, he said, as a young evangelist. Now look back to your wallet. Look to your purse. I mean, whose is it? Is it really God's? Is it God's in such a way that it moves you to be generous? You know, we learned last week that that's one of the characteristics of God is that he's generous. That's one of our six values is that we believe that we're supposed to be generous, not just with our, our time, but also with our giftedness and our resources. Generous to the work of the Lord. It's a journey for us to get there, but it's a journey that we have to get on. Because if not... We're moving back into the ownership mentality. And this is something that we fight all of the time. And that's why every year we spend time talking about this because it creeps up in our lives. And so I wanna ask you this question today. Are you an owner or a steward? Stewards tithe and stewards give generously. Now let me ask you this question. What does God say you are? Maybe you're a tither, but you're not generous. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. And a proper understanding of realizing that it is all the Lord's. If we understand that here, there is no end to the glory that God might receive or the thanksgiving that people will offer for this church and for you and your family and how our righteousness will increase. I think that's why Paul was always able to write about these things so unemotionally. Do you remember in Philippians? My God will supply all my needs. I've learned how to be content with a lot, how to make do with a little. It's all just stuff. That's where I want us to be. All in with the Lord in the way that he would speak to us about holding on to things. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. Is there something in your life that you're just valuing too much? Would you go before the Lord right now and just open-handedly lay that down? Maybe it's time for you to take the step of obedience to being a tither. Maybe you've been doing that and it's time to step forward in generosity. Would you just ask the Lord right now, how are we doing? 
How am I doing? How's my family doing? Stewarding your stuff. Would you ask God to show you the difference between wants and needs? And to thank him and trust him that he has supplied every need and that he will continue to do so. Father, we thank you so much that you have been generous with us. Father, I pray that our minds would be in tune with your mind about finances, about stuff, about things that we acquire. Lord, help us to have a grateful attitude, a generous attitude. And I pray for the one that's in here today that's just struggling, Lord, with stuff. It's so easy for us to be overwhelmed by that, to want to accumulate and get and buy and have. And God, forgive us when we even kind of couch that in spiritual terms as if we just really want this stuff so that we can bless you with it. And God, you see through our hearts. Help us, Lord. As we give, Lord, today, we're generously giving to your work. We're obediently giving to your work and we're cheerfully giving to your work. Father, we pray for Miles and Whitney. Thank you for their card. Thank you for their encouragement. Thank you for their prayers for this church. Father, we do pray for the harvest to come. That you would expand our ministry here. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.